0: All right, all right, all right. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, Corwin. While everybody's finding their spot, uh, I want to say a special shout out to those watching online uh, and anybody listening on the podcast later. Uh, We hope that uh, you're kind of experiment. We know a lot of folks watch online before they show up in the room. Uh, it's kind of a lo fi setup, but um, we think it's even more fun in the room here. So hopefully you will come and join us. If you're watching online, you'll come and join us in the room sometime soon. We'd love to see you. In fact, next week's going to be a really fun Sunday where we're joining with another church and afterwards having a big barbecue cook off. You can't do that online, though, can you? I mean, you could try. I don't know how it would work, but it's going to be fun, a lot of fun. Um, All right, well, today, we'll jump right into it. Um, uh, We're gonna talk about why Jesus came, and specifically what I wanna talk about was what was the mission of Jesus? What was Jesus' mission? And a simple answer um, that many folks uh, that are Christians would give is this. Why did Jesus come? Well, he came to proclaim the gospel, which is a pretty good statement right there, Um, but I'll admit to you that for most of my life as a, Uh, pastor in a church context, I've really wrestled with how to describe sort of this disconnect that I often see with with, um, our biblical understanding of what the gospel is. Now, by the way, if you're new to church, uh, just a simple definition I'll give you. The word gospel, the word gospel, um, Greek word, it means good news, and so Um, Now for the rest of us, uh, lots of people, if you were to ask lots of Christian folks, okay, uh, what is the gospel, many people would say something along the lines of, well, the gospel is the good news that Jesus died for our sins, and if you'll pray to receive him, then you get to go to heaven when you die, which is good news, that is good news, Um, but that little Oftentimes we call it the truncated gospel because it leaves out so much of what Jesus Himself proclaimed when He preached the gospel. In fact, if you want to get real funny with some folks, um, you just want to mess with people, maybe a little bit that think that the word gospel or or that the gospel is just you know simply praying a prayer so you to go to heaven so you get to go to heaven when you die. Just just remind them that Jesus himself never actually taught that. So that'll really mess with them. But So it just depends on how playful you want to be. Um, But I remember, for the longest time, that's just kind of what we were taught. In fact, um, I remember just having some assumptions about that, even while I was in Bible college and I was taking classes. And one of the classes I took was... um, Uh, to become a missionary, I was kind of on that track. And what we would do in the missionary track is is learn different ways to bring the gospel to other countries and cultures. And at one point, I remember um, some discussion about, you know, two different kinds of missionaries. And at one extreme, we were told about denominations or missions agencies who send missionaries out to display what some called the social gospel— And the social gospel meant um, that they primarily uh, went into these other countries meeting physical and social needs, you know, building hospitals or schools, creating jobs, um, just meeting those kinds of important needs. And my first reaction when I heard about that, because I hadn't really heard about anybody doing that, um, I thought, wow, you know, you know, Christians making a difference in difficult cultures, All that has to be a good thing, Right? But then our professor pointed out that for many folks, even though lots of good stuff like that was being done by these missionaries, um, uh, those kinds of missionaries, the problem was, at least what we were told, the problem was that they often were a little light on you know, preaching the gospel uh, or getting people to become Christians, so essentially they missed the spiritual point, point. and I think there's probably some truth in that, although I'm sure there was a little bias in there as well but they missed the spiritual point. They were just focused on the physical, social type needs. On the other hand, we heard about missionaries um, who went out and focused primarily on seeing souls saved and lots of conversion numbers. They were mostly evangelists to other countries. And it was interesting because in the debate of our class, which I'm sure our professor loved, um, the loudest voices in our class very soundly declared that, that those guys, the evangelist missionaries, were the true heroes because, as their reasoning went, even if the people in these other countries still stayed in poverty or their lives were dominated by sickness or illiteracy, well, at least their eternal souls were saved one day when we... When they died, they'd be saved. And my big wondering, and I think this is what the professor was trying to get us to wonder, my big wondering was this, yeah, but isn't it supposed to be both? Like, wouldn't followers of Jesus address both the physical and spiritual needs of people? Like, isn't that really what the gospel's supposed to do, both of these? A guy named uh, Dr. Tim Mackey, he's the founder of The Bible Project, and we uh, checked out those videos, Some good stuff. If you've not checked out the Bible Project, really, really good stuff. He says this about that. Um, Western Protestant tradition tends to separate a socially engaged gospel, so that's the actions and the, the serving folks, separate that from a proclaimed verbal gospel, which would be the preaching part. But he says this. This is a false dichotomy that didn't exist in Jesus' mind. To proclaim a full gospel of release or freedom meant release from cosmic or spiritual sin and death as well as working to release people from physical bondages as well. And my simple summary of his smart guy statement is this. Um, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, it's not just physical or social restoration and it's not only spiritual restoration, it's both That's what we're going to look at today, Uh, and we're in this series of messages uh, this year that we're calling Luke, Jesus for Everyone, because the Gospel of Luke can be summed up in one phrase, it's all about Jesus, and Jesus is for everyone. And what we'll see as we continue to go through the stories of the Gospel of Luke is... is, uh, Pictures of and stories about Jesus reaching out to people who were pushed aside by society, uh, people who were overlooked, um, the unlikely folks, the the outcasts, the poor, the tax collectors, women who were disregarded at that time, uh, a thief, Gentiles, fishermen, sinners. They're all here in the story and they all matter to Jesus because in The kingdom of God and the story that God is writing and invites us into, everyone matters. Now, these past two weeks, we've been looking at a particular story in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 through 30. It's been 17 verses here. And the story that we've been looking at, which we're not going to go back into today, but if you weren't with us, um, it's the story of, of Jesus came home to Nazareth. He preached his first recorded sermon but what happens is the hometown crowd is really angry, um, and the reason that they're angry at Jesus is that, that um, when Jesus claimed that the Messiah, who they were all excited to come and you know, rescue them and set them free, when Jesus said, well, listen, the Messiah isn't going to come and, and wreak vengeance on your enemies, um, the Messiah is going to give grace to everyone who wants it, and the reaction was not like, oh, that's cool, that's a good idea, the, People in his hometown, like, freaked out, so outraged they were that they actually tried to kill Jesus. And if, again, if you haven't heard or read this story, it's a great story. Lots of drama, lots of chaos. But I realized as I was working through it last week that there are two verses that I want to come back to this week. And I just want to zoom in because these two verses are absolutely crucial to our understanding of why Jesus came, to our understanding of his Mission to our understanding of the gospel. So, Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, it's where Jesus announces his mission, and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah 61, and this is what he proclaims. In fact, let's read this together, there's two slides. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news, the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in a word, I think you can summarize that whole mission statement of Jesus. He has come to bring restoration. So why did he come? What is he offering in all of those things? He's offering restoration. And, Jesus offers His restoration both to us and then also through us. now, because the crowd was so angry and the reaction was so strong, again, it would have been really easy to miss the point on this that 's why I want to come back and do a little deeper teaching and focus in on these two verses and what I want to do is is um, tell some stories, and then close out our morning uh, by wondering about how God wants us to engage with him as partners in bringing God's restoration um, through us to the people around us. So we're going to look back here, verse 18 again, the spirit of the Lord is on me for his anointed me, and that word anointed, I'll just stop here and there, the word anointed here in the Hebrew, it means he has messiahed me, so already his Hearers are going, wow, there's something big here, um, because the Messiah was the chosen one who was gonna one day come and deliver them, set them free, so their attention is up, but they've heard this read before. They all know this passage, and at the end of reading that passage, usually there'd be some commentary, and whoever the teacher for the day would you know, kind of do a little talk or devotional and say essentially, you know, won't that be great one day when that finally comes? But Jesus, as we already know, is saying, he, the Lord has messiahed me, personally, Him, he's going to say at the end. It's not later that we're waiting for, it's now that it's happening. So Jesus is claiming God has messiahed me, he says, to proclaim good news. Some translations use the gospel, it's the same word in Greek, good news or the gospel, to the poor. So, Good news here. Um, this is going to be important to pay attention to if we want to know what the gospel is—the uh, gospel that Jesus at least preached, which is probably a pretty good gospel to pay attention to, right? Um, and Jesus is saying here, it's good news for the who—the poor. It's good news for the poor. Now, here's the thing. In Hebrew culture, when we hear the word the poor, yes, it does mean financially poor. It does mean that. But the poor, also for Hebrew culture, includes low social status folks. So outsiders, the neglected people on the margins, uh, like women and children, tax collectors, people who were uneducated or looked down upon. And Jesus is saying, it's good news. I'm here for them, too. Now, this next phrase we're going to look at, some translations include it, some don't, but it is in Isaiah 61 that Jesus was reading from, so it's also a part of the mission statement of Jesus. It's this next phrase, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Anybody here in need of that ever? We're going to talk more about that next time I I, I talk here. Heal the brokenhearted to proclaim Freedom for the prisoners. Next slide. Recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. And right there, those phrases right there, it's like freedom must be a really big deal for Jesus because he is freeing people from sicknesses, from their past, from the enemy. Um, He's freeing them from their shame. And verse 19 says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year. The Lord's favor. Now, this is a great one right here because um, that phrase, the Lord's favor, takes us back to Levit- Leviticus 25. And at, in Leviticus 25, we find out the Old Testament understanding about how, you know, Hey, if we would follow this, economics would best work this way. If we bought into the way God really proposed and designed to them, it's how the world would best work and the land and how money and debt would best work. It's this radical picture of grace right back there in Leviticus, of all places, in the Old Testament. And this year of the Lord's favor was called the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee was every 50 Years in an ancient context like them they they had, if you were someone who had debt when the 50th year, once in a lifetime thing, the year of Jubilee comes up, bang, it's canceled. If you're a prisoner, you get set free. Or if you have to sell your family land in the year of Jubilee, you'd get it back. And most of the time, if you had sold or lost your family land, then you would end up being a servant or a slave. And since poverty is often generational, it's very hard to break out of. So how are you going to get out of this disastrous position and not pass it on to the next generation? Well, that's what the year of Jubilee was for. that, That no matter what life threw at you, there was hope for a fresh start. So in the year of Jubilee, every debt forgiven, prisoners set free, the land rested, the pressure was off, and the people of God could breathe again. Doesn't that sound awesome? Like, could any of you use that kind of relief in your life today, right? Like, uh, my wife Heidi, she's a real estate agent, but real estate's really slow right now, and we're doing okay, but we're feeling it a little bit. But a lot of the folks that I know that are dependent completely on that business, they are struggling a lot right now. I have a good friend in another state who once was the top guy recently in his area for real estate, but this year he's facing bankruptcy. And some of you have had that kind of pressure in your, your job or in your finances. And, and others of us, maybe, maybe for you, your job's fine, um, but how many of you have, you know, some credit card debt How many of you have a mortgage? Go ahead and feel free to raise a hand if you want. Mortgage, credit card debt, you know, financial stress at all. Man, our offering should be way bigger. This is amazing. Everybody's good? (laughs) Pass that plate again. Yes, here we go. But I do think if we're honest, every one of us can kind of relate at some level, but think about it. What if every 50 years the reset button was hit and you were free of all those debts? I mean, you know, some of you might have the, the Chase Freedom card, right? Freedom card, that's a false advertising lie from the pit of hell, right? <laughs> but what if you got Jubilee kind of freedom? That'd be pretty amazing. Like, think about all your debts canceled, starting over, everybody gets a fresh new start. You'd be celebrating, you'd be euphoric, you'd be feeling jubilation, which is Jubilee, right? That's where it's coming from. And that's why the year of the Lord's favor was called Jubilee. And right here, verse 19, in his hometown, Jesus says he's come to proclaim the year of jubilee, the Lord's favor. Then he closes the book, leaves out the vengeance, if you remember from last week. Closes the book, he sits down. uh, Verse 20, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And Jesus says, today this scripture about jubilee is fulfilled. Not, won't it be nice someday? He's saying, no, no, right now, I am bringing that. I am fulfilling that today. And again, what we see through the rest of the book of Luke now, we're going to see those stories of jubilee, the gospel, good news to the outcasts and the poor, people being healed from sickness and death, being set free from oppression and possession because in Jesus, grace has come, and in Jesus, restoration is possible finally for you, for me. But also, if you're one of the people of God, restoration then comes through us to the world around us. Now, I kind of remember, you know, last week, you know, the people here when Jesus says this, they don't, they, all that's lost on them. They just get mad at Jesus and they try to kill him. And I, I sometimes wonder, like, I wonder if anyone in that community later, after it was over and Jesus got away, I wonder if any of them wondered, thought back on his words, the ones that we just read, and just said, well, what if Jesus was right? what if what if God really is bringing the restoration we've all been waiting for? I mean, I mean, these promises of God were such a big deal, like good news to the poor, broken hearts, healed freedom for captives, blind eyes open, like this is audaciously good gospel news. in fact, this gives us a much bigger picture of the gospel that Jesus preached in these verses. Uh, Hear me. Jesus' ministry did not just focus on the need for forgiveness. It did, but not just that. It was holistic, ministering also to the physical, social, and relational needs of the people that he came in contact. It was truly good news for the poor. So, what is the gospel? Yes, it is forgiveness, but remember, it's not just forgiveness, it's the restoration of all things. And Jesus offers his restoration to us as individuals, because we need it, but then also through us. And as followers of Christ, we get to offer God's restoration by living lives of following Jesus, loving and serving those around us to bring restoration to our broken world. Restoration to us and through us. And By the way, uh, in a couple weeks, I'm going to come back and I want to focus in on restoration to us, what that looks like for God to heal our broken hearts and restore us. What does that mean to us? Um, But this week, I want to, with the rest of our time here, I want to look at restoration through us uh, and how God invites us to partner with him in bringing his restoration to our lost and broken world. Now, the thing is, When Jesus stands up and does, you know, what we see as his first recorded sermon, like, this was not a brand new idea. Um, From the beginning of the people of God, all the way back in Genesis, chapter 12, this was God's plan to, to, to have us partner, to have a people to partner with him to bless the world and bring restoration to the world. It started out way back, Genesis 12, when Abraham was still called Abram, verse 1, Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. And everybody's like, yeah, right? Next slide. And I will bless you. And later on, for centuries, the Jewish people would be, yes, I will bless Yes, we'll take the blessing. I will make your name great. Woo-hoo. And you will be a blessing. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's cool, right? right. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. We would all be like, yes, right? Get that, Take that, we'll take that, right? And listen to how it finishes, and all peoples, all people, all <laughs> peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's intention for the people of God which then was the people of Israel, the Jewish folks, and now the people of God expands to us, the followers of Jesus, the church. We are the people of God. He wanted them. He wants us to be a blessing to all the peoples on earth. It's his intention from all along to have also this external focus to live for the sake of others, to not just hoard it to ourselves, but to have a posture of living for and loving for the sake of others, for us to be the people of God on a mission from God, not just in it for ourselves, for me and mind, but to be partners with God, looking for ways to bring God's restoration to the world around. Now, if you read the Old Testament and if you look at the church today, but if we'll pick on the Old Testament first. If you read the Old Testament um, and follow this people of God's story, the Israelites, we, we see they keep losing the storyline, don't they? Especially when they're oppressed by others, enslaved by others. Like, yeah, I, I get it, right? It's easy to understand why when those kinds of awful things happen because other nations are coming against them, it's, it, yeah, I'd, I'd probably close circles and try to protect me and mine, But when we do that, we lose track of the original plan of God to make them a blessing to all the peoples on earth. And that's true for us today as well. For us as the church, we can very easily forget why we exist. There is a danger for us in the Western church especially to become so inwardly focused that we too can forget our mission from God to love others and engage our lost and broken world to bring restoration God's restoration, that's what we get to do. But ultimately, we can't stay focused on our own self-absorbed concern for me and mine because for the people of God, following Jesus results in a life lived for the sake of others. Which makes me sometimes just wonder, what, what if the church remembered who we were and why we were here? What difference would that make? We remembered who we were, why we were here. Let's check out this uh, video right here.
1: What if we were known more for what we love instead of what we hate? Would that make a difference? What if we spent more time loving people and less time being angry with them would that make a difference? What if we gave unconditionally of our time, our talent, and our treasures? Would that make a difference? What if we shared the difference Jesus has made in our lives and stopped pushing away those who aren't there yet? Would that make a difference? What if we walked in the steps of our Savior? Sitting with the broken, caring for the poor, loving the lost, would that make a difference? We live in the midst of ruins, surrounded by brokenness, pain, and loss. It's a moment made for us, a calling we were created to answer, not with judgment, not with harsh words, or self-righteousness, love the love of Jesus what if the church acted like the church? would that make a difference?
0: What if the church acted like the church would that make... A difference in fact let me just say it this way what will happen when the church when the people of God when followers of Jesus when we follow Jesus when we act like his church when we partner with God to bring God's restoration to our broken world bringing the fullness, not just the forgiveness part, but the fullness of Jesus' offer of restoration to people, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I wanna tell a story about a church that took that very seriously. Um, and uh, to me, it's one of the just most powerful stories that sticks out now. For, for me, um, before I came to here in, in uh, 2017 to, to work at Hope, before that, I worked for about two years for a small ministry development organization called Reconciled World. And Reconciled World's a great ministry, and, and the main goal of our ministry um, was to help impoverished villages in the hardest, like most closed nations on earth come out of poverty now a lot of times when organizations do that, uh, you know, they just try to raise a lot of money and, and build infrastructure, and and um, usually the needle moves a little bit, and it's better than in. It was, but um, our organization was comprised of people who had worked in those other kinds of organizations and wanted to try something where we would teach the truths of Scripture to counter the generational lies that hold people in bondage and poverty. And so um, we didn't want to go with resources. We wanted to at least just start with training people with scriptural truth. and by the way, uh, we wanted to make sure that it was led by people in the villages, so we didn't send our teams like into the villages to do the training. We would get pastors from these small villages who would come together, and then someone would train them and coach them, and they'd go back and check in. But most of the time, these places are too dangerous for any Westerners to go to, um, which is why I can't tell you the country where the story is that I'm telling today, but... Um, um, important part of, of what the ministry did. And this was not my idea. I just like jumped in and these people are brilliant. So I got to be a part of the organization. But what they did, they wanted to make sure things were holistic, not just witnessing or telling people about Jesus or having them pray the prayer, not just learning more Bible or theology, although that's fine and good. Um, wanted to focus on teaching tiny groups of Christians in these impoverished villages for Look to look for ways to be the church, to like bring hope and restoration to their communities simply by loving and serving them. And we just called the thing acts of love. We would teach them how to do acts of love. Listen, just love and serve, no strings attached. You'll bring restoration just by letting your light shine, letting God's love flow through you. You just be the church. So these church leaders would go to the training, they'd go back to their little villages, and most of them were incredibly impoverished. Um, and they would say, hey, to their handful of believers with them, um, hey, let's find ways to do acts of love in our village. Um, let's, let's be the church. And then the fun would always begin. They'd pray, they'd listen, and they'd try stuff, right? And, These are really impoverished places here, very little bit resources, so we'd always say, hey, start small, you know, just do small things like pick up garbage, Um, maybe help clean up like a public area in your village or, you know, help out a widow, Um, you know, that kind of thing, right? Uh, Steve Sjogren calls this small things done with great love, just small things, nothing big and giant, right? But in uh, one country, uh, in Asia, which again, I can't mention the the nation, instead of, you know, they did a few things that were small. They were like, this is amazing, but let's go big. We we think God told us to um, go really big, and they decided they wanted to build stable homes for everyone in their community. So, way big. These are not small things. They went way big, right? So they do a survey of the area. They know that we don't have any funding. There's no other agencies in the area. And they decide there's about 35 houses that are, like, ready to fall down or need to be rebuilt or repaired. And so the church members of this little tiny church, um, where it's illegal to be a Christian... (laughs) They worked together, collected resources, gave everything they could, provided all the human power, and they were able to finish 17 of the 35 homes, which is not bad, right? But after completing the 17th house, they realized they got nothing left to do number 18 through 35. But instead of becoming discouraged and giving up on the task that they set out to complete, They decided, well, we think God told us to do this. And so we're going to fast, and then we're going to hold an all-night prayer meeting to ask God, who we believe told us to do this, we're going to ask God to help us finish the project. So they do the thing, they pray all night, they get ready to leave the church in the morning, and as they get ready to leave, suddenly these Large flatbed construction trucks filled with building materials pull up outside the church and start dumping loads in the empty space that was next to the building. It wasn't marked a church because that would have been, you know, not a good idea. So it's just this building. Nobody knew it was a church. Starts dumping stuff in the empty space. And so the church members are confused. And so they rush out to tell the truck drivers, hey, 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 you got the wrong address. Like, we didn't order any more building materials. We have no money. So there's... Nobody here that can pay for all this stuff that you're trying to drop off. And the truck drivers said, hey, listen, hey, it's your problem now. If you don't want this stuff, then then you're gonna have to move it yourself. And they were really confused, but further discussion revealed that these perfectly good materials were surplus from a nearby government warehouse, and they were being disposed of to make way for new materials that were coming in. So these materials here were free. So the church leaders asked the truck drivers, well, why'd you dump them here? And they didn't really know how to respond. The drivers just said, well, you know, we drove along around here and there. We drove around long enough and we were tired of driving. We just felt like dumping the material so we could get back to the warehouse. So they just miraculously dumped them right there. And no surprise, the materials that showed up were enough to finish. What do you all think? How many? The rest of the houses. Yeah, the last of the houses for the community. I mean, this was amazing. See, these people steadfastly believed that showing God's love was looking like partnering with Jesus to bring restoration. These acts of love, they did, God ends up moving, shows up in a miraculous way that brought more restoration. Good news to the poor, wouldn't you say? (laughs) And by the way, because of these acts of love, there were no strings attached. Many more people in their village decided, wow, that's really different. I want to become a follower of Jesus too. And exponentially more people in their community became followers of Jesus. Um, Now, That was the cool part one of the story. Well, then there was part two of the story because it didn't take long um, because later one of the church leaders uh, found out why these government warehouse uh, surplus materials had to be cleared to make room for the incoming shipment, and what happened was that the government in this country where Christianity is illegal, the government as a part of persecuting Christians was going around to people they knew were believers and telling them, if you will renounce your faith, we'll give you materials for a new house. But none of the Christians were (laughs) renouncing their faith, so all this building material got backlogged in the warehouse storage, and so it got to be so much that it had to be dumped, I mean, think about this, right? The stuff that was supposed to be used to stop the church was actually randomly given to the church, and with it, the church was used by God to bring restoration to their village. I mean, come on, that's amazing, it's amazing. But more more to the story, there's more. That used to be the end of the story, but then we found out more because when government officials from another branch of the government, more of the housing area, heard what had happened, how these churches had built houses for people for free, no strings attached, that branch of the government came to these Christians who other branches were persecuting, right, and said, hey, lots of times when we give people materials to repair or build new homes, they just sell the materials and waste the money on alcohol and other stuff, which makes us look bad because now our quotas aren't being met. So if we give you guys the materials, would you keep helping people making sure those people in need get houses? <laughs> and they were like, uh-huh, yes, sure, okay, yes, yeah, right." right. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing story of restoration? Holistic restoration. And for two years um, at the organization that I was working for, a big part of my job was to tell stories like that to pastors here in the U.S.A., so many stories that that's just one of many, many stories. Little churches, impoverished places, just obeying what God calls them to do. That They do acts of love to bring restoration, um, and God used them to bring restoration. Lots of these churches, physically, emotionally, spiritually, physically. It's amazing. Um, there are stories where there had been little areas, little villages, where for decades there had just been a handful of Christians, just a small percentage in a... Village, just a few people following Jesus in different places, but when they began to demonstrate acts of love, suddenly 70%, 80%, even 90% of some of these villages would begin to follow Jesus. Not because somebody preached the pray the prayer so when you die, you get to go to heaven message. They watched the full restoration of Jesus coming through the people of God. It's amazing. And I was always just so humbled by watching God bring restoration through his people and churches over there. And for two years, I was honored to tell pastors over here about all the amazing things that God was doing over there through the church. But it wasn't long before telling all these stories started to stir something in my heart, something that I had shut down, something that had gone Uh, I'd say, underground when I had to step out of ministry to try to save my family and then go through divorce many years ago. And, And back then, I just laid down any hopes of ever being invited back into any kind of church ministry here again. But what started to stir in my heart as I told these stories over there about stuff over there was this. God, would you do this, God, over here? I'm grateful, God, for what you're doing over there, but would you do that here? And by the way, I don't think it's better to do ministry here instead of other places. It's not one or the other. It's a both and deal. We gotta do both over here, over there as followers of Jesus. But, but my prayer began to be, God, I'm grateful for what you're doing over there. But would you begin to do these things here? Would you show up in supernatural ways where you, God, where you move, where love acts and people around us start coming to life in Jesus? God, would you bring that kind of restoration more and more here? And not because the church that we're at is the biggest or slickest or has the best sound system or light show. Not because we got really good at catchy sayings or advertising and marketing, not because we had the best programs or options in town, not because our building was one of the coolest in town, but God, would you show up here by the power of your spirit as a church family begins to follow Jesus and wonder what it means to bring your restoration to our city, to our communities, through acts of love. Would you do that, God? Would you do that in a church over here that I could just be a part of? And pretty soon, he made it clear that he was calling me to do something about that desire. And instead of giving my life's energy to telling great stories about what God is doing through his people over there, I told him, okay, God, yes, I do. I want to be a part of what you're doing through your church right here. And now I get to be a part of this church family, Hope Covenant Church, a people who have a huge heart to bring restoration both here and over there. And I love it. I love this. And I think, friends, in this next season in front of us, God has much, much more of that for us. Because my brothers and my sisters, God wants to bring restoration through us. And when we partner with Jesus in his gospel mission, we get to bring the kind of restoration that Jesus did. So, real quick... How about you? How is God inviting you to step out and partner with him to bring restoration in the community or in the surrounding regions around us? Maybe it involves serving with some other family members here at Hope, things like uh, San Marcos Elementary, where we go to the Title I school and and find ways to love and serve at that school right over by where Heidi and I live in the San Marcos neighborhood. Um, How about serving at Matthew's Crossing? We do food drives here, but we have a group of folks who serve, I believe, weekly, at least weekly over there, packing food boxes, taking care of people. You could do that and help bring restoration that way. Or how about our reminisce ministry, where where every other week we have a group of folks during the afternoon who go and do worship services at memory care facilities, where oftentimes nobody really wants to be there, even if it's their family member coming to visit, but they love and serve and bring restoration by doing that Or how about through our refugee ministry, where we walk alongside families that are new to our country and help welcome them, bring restoration to really broken stories. Um, Or one mission, which is coming up very soon. You can partner with God, partner with teams to bring restoration to Puerto Penasco, down to Rocky Point, and help build houses there as a part of bringing God's restoration or the Naomi House, the children's home that we go to a couple times a year up on the reservation in northern Arizona where, where there are kids whose parents either can't take care of them or they don't have parents, yet there's these homes where they can be raised in a safe place, but they need love and they need care, and, and maybe that's one way you can bring restoration. Or VBS. Vacation Bible School, our kids' summer day camp that we do coming up in June. There's a meeting after service um, about that. And maybe you want to help love and serve, because we get a lot of kids that come from the neighborhood, that come from the apartment complex over here. Maybe that's a way that you can partner with God, bringing restoration in some way to the community around us. There's so many other ways that we can do that. And it doesn't have to be through something here at church. Um, You just need to pray. Just pray. Ask God, invite God to bring restoration to the sphere of life that you have, right? The family down the street, the coworker who you know is hurting, maybe the homeless guy that you see all the time at that intersection, not to just give him money, but maybe to do something to develop relationship or care. Maybe God wants you to bring restoration that way. And maybe, maybe it's just, looking for small acts of love and kindness just to serve and love people right around you. I have a feeling if you just ask Jesus, he's gonna give you some pretty good nudges. Uh, worship team, as you come. Um, we're out of time, but I just wanna, um, I just wanna imagine what will happen If the church acts like the church, um, what happens when we do act like the people of God, on a mission from God, bringing Jesus' restoration, what difference, the difference that'll make? It's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be amazing. The restoration that we're gonna see might look small, but it's not small to the person who experienced a changed life, is it? See, when we start doing more of that, and we do some of that really well, but when more and more of us as a church start to do that together, man, we are gonna have some great stories to tell. Not just stories about what's happening over there in the church. I think that here, right here, we're gonna see the poor, the outcast, the lonely. We're gonna see people finding hope in the good news of Jesus' love and grace. I think we're gonna see Right here, stories of broken hearts being healed and made whole. Right here, we're going to see people experiencing freedom from sin and addiction and being ransomed from evil and hate. Right here, we're going to start seeing blind eyes open, physical and spiritual healings. We're going to see people delivered from things that oppress them. We will see, Hope family we will see clearly, more clearly, the restoration of Jesus on full display. Does anybody else want that? Anybody else here want to see that happen? Yeah. That's what we get to do. That's what we get to do. I want you to stand with us and sing. Because, friends, it's only because of the reckless love of God that that, that we can even enter into this. The risk that God took to invite and love and restore you and me was reckless. And my prayer is that as we sing this song, we imagine receiving God's love, this love that restores us, and then we start loving other people that same way. Let's open our hearts as we sing together.